So for your, you can be thankful I found my copy here, so that's good. Um, just want to just remind you where we've been. We started this journey with the Minor Prophets. It was the latter decades of the 8th century BCE. Uh, the Northern Kingdom was flourishing. The Assyrian Empire was in the rise. But we're 200 years from that. The Northern, the Northern Kingdom was wiped off the map. Those are the lost tribes of Israel. The Assyrian Empire has been crushed. It is a distant memory. Judah lies in ruins. Jerusalem is destroyed. The Babylonians now have been conquered by the Persians. So we are now in the late 6th century, around, but not around, we are at the year 520 BCE. In a minute, you'll know why we know that date exactly. So we're looking at Haggai, um, one of the first prophets of the return from the exile. So listen to the word of God. And Darius, by the way, is a Persian emperor. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai saying, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you that earn wages earn wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You have looked for much, but it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins, while all of you hurry off to your own homes. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and what the soil produces, on humans and animals, and on all their labors. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words that are both within and without us, may your unchanging word come to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On April the 15th, 2019, the great cathedral of Notre Dame caught on fire. And before the fire was done, it had destroyed the spire. The spire had collapsed. Its roof had been destroyed and its upper walls had been severely damaged. And it was something not only did the people of Paris, but particularly I remember seeing um, images of people just watching the fire and weeping. Now France is not a particularly Christian country, though some of the great saints of the modern times, the 19th century, come from France. Some of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century were French but it's a pretty secular place. But to watch that cathedral that was first started 
1163. It took almost 200 years to build. To watch the great cathedral come down was heartbreaking because it, even people who did not necessarily believe the God that was to be worshipped in that cathedral, it symbolized so much of, of what it meant to be a citizen of Paris. The affection for the cathedral, though, didn't always <laughs> exist. During the French Revolution, it was actually sold to a building contractor who took parts, pieces of the building out for building. Christian worship was made illegal by the Revolutionary Republic in 1793, and they actually did a ceremony of worship and called it the Temple of Reason, where a woman who was scantily clothed was worshiped as the goddess of reason. And hundreds of French Christians, Catholics, died as part of the French Revolution. But you know, faith is a hard thing to kill. And even though they had taken 500-year-old statues and decapitated them, even though the place was in ruins, nonetheless, it began to make a comeback. And by the middle of the 19th century, it was renovated. And by next spring, they say that it'll once again be totally renovated to be fully enjoyed and used as a place of worship. Renovations are hard. Whether we're talking about buildings, whether we're talking about the soul, whether we're talking about a community of faith, the church. And at the heart, it's really a matter of priorities, right? Rebuilding the Cathedral of Notre Dame is a huge priority for the modern citizens of Paris, just like it was not for the citizens of the French Revolution. And the state of faith in our community, or for that matter, in our country, which a lot of people bemoan, is really a matter of priorities. There's, there's no great mystery to why faith is less important to people, right? It's just a matter of what other things are more important to folks. But, you know, one thing that's really clear to me uh, that both progressives and conservatives have in common in our country, even though we seem to be so divided, but if we step back and looked at the heart of all these various movements, all of them share one really important characteristic, and that is the idolatry of the self. My self-interest, my truth, my rights, my conveniences, my happiness. At the heart of so much divide in our country is really people want to have their own way. Matter of fact, if I even talk about the common good, right, one of the really important principles that this country was founded upon, you sound like you're a dinosaur. That also seems to be the problem in Haggai's day, Haggai's day. Though I'm more sympathetic <laughs> to the returned exiles in Judah than I am for our own citizens of this republic. We don't know much about Haggai. We don't know his father, which is unusual. Often they'll say son of. And if they don't say that, they often say where he's from, but they don't say either of those things. But we have a very specific time for this prophet. We are told that it is the second year of King Darius. And because the Persians kept really good records, we know that is the year of 520. 
And it was 18 years after the first group of exiles returned from Babylon. Okay, we just got done doing this in summer adventure camp, but the Babylonians had taken first a group of the brightest and best from Jerusalem. And then when Judah rebelled again and they destroyed the city, many of the survivors ended up in Babylon as well. But the Babylonian empire was a short one and the Persians conquered it. Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon and he made a decree that everybody could go home. If you wanted to go home, you could go home back to the land you originally came from. And 50,000 or so, we have that number from the book of Ezra, 50,000 folks returned. The majority stayed in Babylon, but 50,000 people came back and there was a great hope. Matter of fact, Isaiah 40 talks about coming back to Israel, the land, the promised land, as if it was going to be a new, a new exodus. And we we're coming back to a new Eden, right? But as the novelist once said, you can't really go home, can you? And when they got back to Judea, the land was in ruins. Jerusalem was in ruins. And on top of that, there were other people who had kind of taken in, uh, <laughs> had filled the vacuum. So it was a kind of a dangerous place as well. And so the reality on the ground was pretty bleak. You can only imagine trying to go back and, you know, replow land that had been left unplowed, to try to put together buildings that had been destroyed, try to reclaiming wells that maybe had been poisoned. And so for 18 years, the people who came back worked really hard. And not only do we know the year, but we know the month, okay, that Haggai came to this group of people. It was the first day of the sixth month, which is the month in the Jewish calendar of Elul. And Elul is the month before Rosh Hashanah. It's the last month before Rosh Hashanah. So it's to be a month of reflection. It's a time of looking forward to what's coming next. It's a time of repentance. To try to return to a clean state. And because it was the first day of this month, it was a new moon, and there should have been a sacrifice. There should have been a sacrifice on the altar in the temple to prepare oneself to self-examine to get ready for God's new year. But they couldn't do a sacrifice on the altar, right? Because there was no temple or altar. And so Haggai approaches these folks and say, you know, you've sown much, but you've reaped little. You eat, but you never have enough. You're clothed, but you're never warm. You put money in your bag, but there's a hole in the bag, right? <laughs> How often have you maybe felt that way? The more I work, the less I get done. The more I try, the less it happens. Haggai states, because the worship of Adonai is not a priority for them, God is punishing them, withholding from them a bountiful harvest. Now, a lot of people have trouble with the good old days when God used to punish people and throw plagues. But I want to argue a little bit for bringing back the good old days of the plagues. 
And I was inspired by this by uh, the comedian um, Jim Gaffigan and his new routine. Because it used to be like God would throw down a plague and people go, hey, we should change. <laughs> but in Jim Gaffigan's routine, he, and I, I'm not going to try to imitate him. He's very funny. So God is talking to his assistant. He goes, we need to straighten up those people. I'm going to set the state of California on fire. And then after that, I'm going to send them a plague. We'll call it, we'll call it coronavirus. And so God then talks to his assistant. So what's happened? What did the people do about my plagues? What about the fire in California? And he goes, well, people are saying that some sort of space laser caused that. What about the plague? He says, they're blaming the guy who invented Microsoft Word for that one. Now, uh, I think theologically, it's good that we no longer think this way. But you know what? We're not really doing anything or enough to stop the plagues that are on us. That we actually are causing. Right? But at least we know here in Vermont, global warming doesn't affect us, right? You see what I'm saying, right? Priorities are tricky things, right? Priorities are tricky things. Because there are a lot of things that are going wrong in this world that we could do something about. I'm not just talking environmentally, I'm talking culturally. But Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And I think that explains a lot. Because our treasure isn't with loving God. Our treasure isn't with loving our neighbor. It's obvious that our treasure is not with building a better world for our children or our grandchildren. But the good news in 520 BCE is that the people listened. And so chapter two is only seven weeks later. And after seven weeks later, there's a temple. Now I'm gonna give you a warning. What kind of temple can you build in seven weeks? Okay, now I've been involved in some blitz builds. So I've actually helped build a house in a week. Okay, but listen to what Haggai says in chapter two. And so, I will skip all the address, but it's, it's seven weeks later. And he says, ask them, who of you is left to saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Apparently, now these would have been people that had been kids, but it's, it's a, it seems like there were some folks who remembered what the original temple looked like. And when they got ready to dedicate this new thing, they were heartbroken. But then he says this, be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. The work for I am with you. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Be strong. By working together, by sacrificing of their time, talent, and treasure, by putting God first and putting the people of God first, they had rebuilt the temple in seven weeks. 
I remember, it was funny, when I was preparing a sermon, there was, I had this vague memory of something that I read 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, and I found it. And at the time, Jim Wallace, who was the founder of the community, Sojourner community, was talking about what was wrong with American Christianity and talking about all the different attempts to make it better. And he lists all the different emphases from different branches of Christianity. But he said this, I think at the heart of the, heart of the problem of American Christianity 40-some years ago, he said, was our communion with God and with one another is so frail and limited that we simply have not the resources and strength to live by what we say. I really wish more people would have listened to that 40-some years ago. We are in the midst of a renovation here at FCC. And our reading from the New Testament reminds us what our task is. Our task is to build up the church, not the building, but the community of faith. And Paul tells us then that once we build this up, we'll be mature Christians and we'll be able to speak the truth in love and that we must grow in every way into him who is the head as Christ. A true renovation, a true renewal of this community of faith is not to harken back to some sort of glory days. That's not our story. We can be thankful for the good this church did in the past. We can remember gladly the kind of position we had in this community. But that's not our story. And the goal of rebuilding this community of faith has nothing to do with the building. It has really nothing to do with our status in Manchester. It has to do with whether or not we're going to love God and love each other. And by putting God first and putting the love for this community of faith first, can we be a beacon of hope and faith. Just because people don't make faith a priority doesn't make it any less true. And it certainly doesn't make them any happier. Our job is not to resent <laughs> that people don't come to our church. Our job is to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to take care of each other and to love each other and have open hearts to a lost time and generation. Jim Lee was one of the great souls and leaders of this congregation and we laid his remains to rest yesterday. And one of the things that was powerful as both as his family talked about him was just his, his kindness and the quiet way that God was the center of his life. And Jim carried around this verse in his wallet. It's from Philippians chapter 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, meaning Christ.
Jim's job is done. And I'm thankful for everyone who's been part of of this community of faith throughout his existence. But our work is not done. And the need is as great as it's ever been. If we can come together in our well-ordered love for God and for each other, then we put ourselves in a position to offer solace, to offer something that fills all those empty vessels out there. And even ourselves, if we can be reminded what's most important, if we can submit ourselves again to God and to each other, then what we have can never be taken from us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to continue our worship by giving to God our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings.